Welcome to Sunday Night Dinner, a podcast that cooks. I'm Suzanne Hancock. I think the best food is the food that you prepare yourself and that it surprises you, that it's not just sort of ho-hum. We're back. This is season two of Sunday Night Dinner, and that's Canadian Senator Larry Campbell talking to me in his kitchen on Galliano Island. Galliano is on the west coast of Canada, southwest of Vancouver, between the mainland and Vancouver Island. It's the largest southern Gulf Island, and it's a totally magical place. You sail among porpoises to get there, and the cedars seem hung with stories. From Larry's back deck, you can see the perfect west coast scene. Layers of blue in the sky and ocean, sandwiching other Gulf Islands, and the deepest greens. It's both serene and inspiring. Vancouver, the city that served as the backdrop to much of Larry's life, is an hour ferry ride away. But once you arrive on the island, it seems much further. Summer's over, but we're gonna start season two with an episode that features Larry making sticky spatchcocked chicken on his barbecue. Perfect for Sunday night dinner, any time of year. And you can only surprise yourself by trying different things that you wouldn't normally, I mean, I was a real meat and potatoes man, and I'm, I'm still a meat man, and I still like potatoes, but I like them in different forms, and it's evolution. There's, you know, you can't just stay meat and potatoes all your life, or you're just gonna miss life. Larry certainly hasn't missed out on life and its infinite complexities. He started his career in the 60s as a steelworker in Hamilton, Ontario. In the 70s, he was an RCMP officer and spent most of those years on the drug squad in Vancouver. Following that, he established Vancouver's first district coroner's office and eventually became the chief coroner for British Columbia. In 2002, he was elected mayor of Vancouver and in 2005, he became a Canadian senator. In 1998, the TV show Da Vinci's Inquest. If you watched the show, you'll remember this awesome music by composer Tim McCauley. And if you haven't watched the show, I highly recommend it. I burned through the first season before meeting Larry and it's really good. The show was loosely based on Larry's life and many of the storylines in the show were inspired by real life issues in Vancouver the controversy over safe injection sites for drug users, homelessness, and the disappearance of women, some of them sex workers, from the downtown east side. As a drug enforcement officer, sometimes undercover, and one who never made a single arrest for marijuana, and then as mayor, Larry saw things from a variety of perspectives. He's still engaged in revising legislation and investigating Canadian issues as a senator in Ottawa 30 weeks a year, but the rest of the time he's on Galliano at his home with his wife Kate and their many animals. He invited us for Sunday night dinner, and while walking me through the steps to creating a perfect spatchcocked chicken, we also talked comfort food, his favorite job, changing technologies, his proudest moment as mayor, and what it was like seeing himself portrayed by someone else on TV. Here's Larry detailing the menu. Uh, tonight we're going to have sticky spatchcock chicken. We're going to have roasted broccoli, potatoes, and carrots uh, with parmesan. And we're going to have corn on the cob. All of it fresh and the majority of it from the island. 
So we'll start with the sauce that will be brushed over the chicken before it goes onto the barbecue. When I arrived, Larry, who was wearing a t-shirt with the yellow man lyrics, nobody move, nobody get hurt, was sauteing onion and garlic, one onion and two cloves of garlic in some olive oil on medium low for about 10 minutes until the onions were soft. So we have garlic and we have onions in there right now. And now we're gonna throw some honey in. You'll add four tablespoons of honey to the onion and garlic. Okay. So we need some Worcester sauce. Soy sauce. Two tablespoons each of Worcester sauce and soy sauce. And then two tablespoons of brown sugar and four tablespoons of ketchup. Larry simmered it all for about two minutes. We're gonna slather the chicken in this and then we're gonna layer out. And the thing about spatchcock, you take the whole backbone out and then you flip the chicken over and where the breasts are, you push down on your hands and sort of break them so that the chicken lays absolutely flat. And what happens is everything cooks, like that chicken will be done in an hour which is pretty fast, but because it's all flat, it all cooks, so nothing gets dried out. It's, once I, I never do a full chicken anymore unless I do this, because it's just so much easier. And you just throw it on the barbecue and walk away and come back in an hour or so. As Larry said, spatchcocking is sort of like butterflying a chicken. The easiest way to do it is to cut out the backbone starting at the thigh end of the chicken with kitchen shears. You'll cut along one side of the backbone and then you turn the chicken around and cut along the other side of the backbone and remove the entire thing. You can save it for stock if you want to. Then you flip the chicken over, allowing it to open and you press down on the breastbone to flatten it. It takes less time to cook this way and it also allows the skin to become crispier. I wondered how Larry became interested in cooking in the first place and where he finds his inspiration these days. Sometimes you look around and you don't know what you've got in your cupboard and it's a weird assortment of things and I just go on the internet and put all the ingredients in and voila there's Something dishes that I've made. never I've never heard of and so I experiment on my wife and friends <laughs> sometimes with less than great results but mostly most of the time everybody's pretty happy that's great so have you always loved cooking um yeah i think i think so you know when i left when i uh, joined the mounties there were a bunch of single mounties living together because you couldn't get married in those days for originally when i joined it was down to two years but before that it was seven years and so there were all these guys and if you wanted to just keep eating you know macaroni and cheese or whatever uh, that's what you do but so I liked cooking and uh, I just like experimenting with stuff and seeing how it works because I'm never sure what's going to happen whether it'll be edible <laughs> whether it'll be edible or not so uh, you cooked you cooked for your the group of Mounties that you lived with yeah we cooked in the house well I wasn't the only one everybody no. started everybody started jumped in on it our lives were always so you know like Everybody was working different shifts. So, you know, some guys would be working the gravy shift and some guys would be working afternoons. And so it was always, 
who was going to be there and what were they going to eat. Was there something did, that you did on Sunday night dinner? Anything no, different? No, no because it just you never knew when you yeah. were, you know, everybody was working different shifts. Mm -hmm. um, and so, no, there wasn't really. No. And for the longest time, I mean, um, there just wasn't any reason to celebrate Sunday dinner. Uh, my, my, you know, my family in Ontario, we always had Sunday dinner and it was always, oh, it'd be roast beef or it'd generally be a roast or that. Or in the summertime, my dad would uh, barbecue. But it was always a meal that we always got together at. I mean, I left when I was 21. And so, but my sisters are, were still there. And uh, so whenever we went home, it was... You know, I don't think it was a. I don't think it was a big event. It was just. It was a time where everybody got together, and you know, Dad would get. Dad would be going back to work the next day, and my mom would. And Larry fired up the barbecue, and I got a chance to take in the beauty of the land he and his wife Kate have transformed. Their deck overlooks the lower field where their goats graze. They have sheep, chickens, dogs, a cat and some of the most elegant ducks, they're called Indian runner ducks, I've ever seen. It couldn't be more different from life in the city, and I wondered if the ex-mayor of Vancouver missed the city he knows so well. I love Vancouver. I mean, you know, I, I came from Brantford, Ontario in 1969 with the Mounties, and uh, I, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. I mean, there was no snow, and if there was, it didn't last that long, and. Um, and, you know, I, I spent my whole life here in the Mounties and in the corner service and then as mayor. And, but now, um, I, I just can't take the traffic anymore. I just can't, uh, you know, and, and it's not just Vancouver. It's kind of crazy, but, you know, down the south end here, we have that little village. And when I first got over here, like, I couldn't go a day without going to the hardware store or just to go down there. And now it's like, oh, man, you know. I keep thinking it's antisocial, but it might be just a quietening of Larry Campbell. Larry does spend much of his year in Ottawa as an engaged senator, and he's proud of what the Senate can achieve. The right to die bill, I think, was the proudest moment that the Senate's had. It was like all of these people from different parties with heartfelt ideas and beliefs, expressing them in a really quite uh, democratic and, and polite way you know there wasn't a lot of you know oh you're gonna go to hell yeah. if you do this or you know I have a right to it was like these are what our beliefs are and this is what's going on and at the end I think we make bills better I really do mm. there's no question that the Senate is in a whole different place I've been there 12 years uh, and the Senate is in a whole different place and I really think it's in a better place mm. Okay. I think for Canadians, I think we're more responsive. Um, plus, we have all this incredible expertise of these people who are, who yeah. are not politicians. Mm -hmm. When he's not in Ottawa, he's here on Galliano. The island is 27 kilometers long, 6 kilometers at its widest point, and one and a half across its narrowest point. And the population is about 1,300 people. Larry and Kate are North Islanders, as opposed to South Islanders, and Larry jokingly called the dividing line between the two the Tofu Curtain. Apparently, North Islanders wear army boots instead of Birkenstocks and have different ways of dealing with raccoons, the island's top predator. 
There's a lively debate still going on about whether cell towers should be allowed on the island. But regardless... While there's, you know, arguments about global warming and cutting down trees and, and that, at the end of the day, when things go sideways in this island, everybody comes together. It's really about, you know, everybody helping each other. We have a lot of people here who are older. We have a lot of people here who are probably at the lower end of the economic scale. And uh, it's really a community that, it, that pulls together. I don't think anybody goes hungry in this island. Mm-hmm. We, have, we, have a soup, we have a soup day, we have a food bank, we have a program where they will go harvest uh, apples and stuff that you aren't gonna use. And we're self-sufficient on the island. We have some really incredible little farms here um, that virtually grow anything you want. So I have these vegetables here. And so what we have here is broccoli, uh, carrots and potatoes grown here. I love garlic. We eat garlic. I love garlic with everything. So there's garlic. There's, uh, uh, what are the herbs that are in here? There's some rosemary. There's some thyme. Um, that's all grown here. There's some really nice sea salt in there. It calls for smoked sea salt, but I think that's a bit much over the top. So what we're going to do with this is we're going to roast this in the oven, then we're going to take it out and scatter parmesan over the top of it, and then it'll be ready to go. So. So you'll toss the vegetables with enough olive oil to lightly coat them, add thyme, rosemary, and any other of your favorite herbs, and sea salt, and then you'll cover them with foil and put them in the oven at about 400 degrees. They'll take about 30 minutes, so Larry put them in the oven just after he put the chicken on the barbecue. Let's get back to the chicken and the sauce. Okay, so we will pour it over here and we'll let it sit for a bit until... I'm really at my best behavior today because normally I like to dirty every dish in the house before I finish. Yes. Much to the consternation of Kate. Yes. I've actually, I actually sometimes just surprise her by cleaning it up. She wants to know if I'm ill. So what are you doing now, Larry? I'm just taking this marinade, this sauce, and just pouring it over the chicken. And we'll just let this sit while the barbecue gets up to temperature. And then we'll take it out and we'll keep some of this. When we take it out of this bowl, there'll be some left over. And about halfway through, this should all caramelize over it. And I just take it and I put it back over it again. And it's really simple. And it's going to be really messy to eat. While we waited for the barbecue to heat up and the chicken to marinate, I asked Larry how he became mayor of Vancouver. How did, how did you become mayor? Why did you want to become mayor? I didn't. I never wanted to become mayor. I mean, basically, I, so after I retired as chief coroner, um, I was with a, a group of people. Um, it was called Opening the Doors. And basically, it was... Um, Oh, the Vancouver drug users, uh, it was nurses, doctors, uh, very few police, but some police, um, epidemiologists, all of these kind of people. And we were trying to figure out, because I'd gone through the 96 when I was chief coroner, 
the two and three hundred people dying of heroin. And I, I, th this may be embellished a little bit, I'm not sure, but I mean, as I remember it, um, Philip Owen, who was mayor, um, said we should have a supervised injection site. And he did the four pillar strategy and like he, and, and they were considered a conservative government. And uh, he was advised that he had to run f to be nominated again uh, for a mayor. And he'd been mayor for, I think, nine years, three terms. And he wasn't, he wouldn't. He said that, you know. So I went to him and said, well, you know, I'd run as, I'd run as a counselor if you'd run as an independent. And he, no, he wasn't going to do it. So I went back to the group and said, no, he's not going to do it. And basically they said, well, you're the only one that doesn't have a job. And so you're going to have to run. You're going to have to run for mayor. And I'm like, okay, you know, I, I'm going to lose, you know, I could... You know, go into a deep depression that could only be cured by salmon fishing every day. And and lo and behold, I mean, I had an incredible team of young people. I, you know, I had no idea. I mean, I wasn't, I, I'm not a politician. I've never, I mean, people don't believe me, but I'd never run for office before. And I just had this incredible bunch of people that just surrounded me. And, you know, I knew, what, I, I mean, I knew the policies that I'd, I would like and, the, and that, you know, you know, I wanted the supervised injection site. I wanted to have a referendum on the Olympics. I wanted Woodward's so that we could develop it. Um, Canada Line, you know, some of them weren't all that popular with my, with my cohorts in there. But the people that surrounded me during that campaign, was, they were just young and they were just amazing. And we, we shot people. We ran 27 people, we elected 27 people, and there had been like maybe five previously elected from COPE. Wow. And uh, that's huge. And it, it was, it was like, you know, I remember sitting there the night of the election and my, now he became my chief of staff. He came in and he said, uh, you better get dressed. And it was like 8.15, the polls closed at eight. I said, what are you talking about? He said, it's over, you're the mayor. I'm like, really? Yeah, really. And it was, you know, that fast. It was just, it was over. And, you know, wow. I, I, only, I, I only did one term. That was I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. But it would've, wow. I would have died. It would have really? killed me. Well, it was 24-7. I think yeah. when you're mayor, you got to really, and, but I loved it. And, and I didn't worry about it because I didn't care if I got real. That's the problem with being a politician. You get elected and you immediately have to start worrying about getting re-elected. During his three years as mayor, Larry established North America's first legal safe injection site and championed the Four Pillars drug strategy. A strategy first implemented in Europe in the 90s, it focuses on harm reduction, prevention, treatment and enforcement. In addition to drug and crime prevention, he was also instrumental in the successful Vancouver bid to host the 2010 Winter Olympic and Paralympic Games. I asked him about his proudest moment as mayor. I guess probably the supervised injection site. Although, you know, when I go and look at Vancouver, I probably should have had four or five supervised injection sites. But the government changed. Um, they made a decision to not go that route, and I think that we can see the results of it. I mean, the downtown east side was always pretty rough, but it's, you know, now I think the more that we, the more that we uh, think about it, that if we'd have had four, but I'm very proud of that. And I'm, I'm proud of the people for the city of Vancouver, the citizens saying, 
we're going to take this risk. I mean, it was a big risk. Mm -hmm. You know, it, was, it wasn't universally popular. No. And they took a big risk and we pulled it off. And it was the people that were involved. It wasn't the mayor. It was like, you know, they, this was law. This was all, that place was built before I got elected. Nobody knew about it, but it was built. Mm -hmm. So that when I got elected, they just, they just started it. Right. That, and the second thing I'm most proud of is Jim Green and Woodward's. It changed what the downtown east side would look like. And uh, he's dead now, but uh, he made an incredible... I mean, he, without Jim Green, I'd have been just a crappy mayor. Jim Green was a city councillor in Vancouver when Larry was mayor, and he was an activist and social justice advocate. The Woodward's building was a department store built in 1903 in the downtown east side of Vancouver that sat vacant for years after Woodward's went bankrupt. The province of BC eventually bought the building from a developer, and there was a three-month occupation of the building and then the sidewalk outside the building by a group of activists trying to make sure any development would include social housing. And that's where Jim and Larry came in. The city of Vancouver bought the building for $5 million and redeveloped it. The building includes market housing units, non-market housing units, offices, stores, a daycare, and a part of the Simon Fraser University campus. Larry took me into the study to show me a photo of himself and Jim Green. Oh. That's on the cover of Vancouver Magazine. Larry's dressed as a boxer, cuts on his nose and above his eye, and he's staring directly into the camera. His gloves are just touching like he's getting ready for more. And Jim is his corner man, a bloodied towel over his shoulder. He's leaning over the ropes of the ring with a look of fierce determination, encouraging Larry on. There's a photo of the photo on the website if you want to check it out. It's pretty amazing. Okay. We, were the, we were the power couple. They had, they had me all made up, and they took this picture. And then after this was over, Jim and I went to City Hall. I didn't take the makeup off. And he ran in, and there was a big meeting of senior managers telling them that he just had a fight with the mayor, and he had to beat me up, hide mm -hmm. me. And so he went and hid, and then I came in like this saying, look, I've had it. Where's green? I want green. <laughs> I love the man. I love him. I that love picture that. says it all, you know. Yeah. <laughs> He's there. Come on. We can do this. We can this. do this. We yeah. can do this, all right? Don't let me down here. Oh, and wow. I'm like, you know, I think I was having more fun as a coroner. <laughs> which sounds yeah, weird to say. say hey, hey, hey listen that's my that was my best job yeah oh totally absolutely it may sound weird but being coroner and dealing with the grim realities of death every day was larry's favorite job here's why because you never knew what was going to happen um you were always dealing with people who were at their at the very worst at the you know, so far down, which meant that you had to be steady and be able to talk to them. And I always felt like I was helping people. And, and you know, I was thinking about it the other day that there were recommendations that my juries made that kept people alive. And I always remember there was a, there was a curve on the Granville Street Bridge where a, a, a fellow from Montreal got knocked over the bridge. And he was actually reported missing, and nobody could figure out where he was, whether he'd gone to Hong Kong or anything. And 
they found him on the other side of the bridge and he'd been hit by a car. And uh, the police had come and it was really dark, a nasty night. Um, the driver didn't even know he'd hit him. And there was nothing there to show it. He was just over the railing. And then when we looked at it, like this was happening all, not that severe, but was happening all of the time. And there'd been other <coughs> bad accidents there. And we just recommend that they put up blocks, like, you know, those curved blocks along there. <clears throat> and I always remember going there about a week after that they finally put it in. And it was like covered in, you know, the bumper marks all the way along. I mean, this must have been an ongoing thing. And so I was, you know, and, and I liked dealing with people. I really liked dealing with families. I liked being, knowing that when they left, they were, I left them better than when they came in the door. And mm -hmm. they always were, you know, I had lots of families that I've have been friends with, you know, after the fact. From us, we, you end up sharing uh, you know, yeah. what is the worst? Uh, so I really liked it, but it was like every day was different. You never knew what was going on. Like police work only a little more intense because you were sort of, you know, by yourself as the coroner, working with police and ambulance and, and other, other professionals. So hmm. yeah, that was my best job. And that job was portrayed beautifully by the actor Nicholas Campbell on Da Vinci's Inquest. I wondered what it was like for Larry to write for the show and to watch someone playing him on TV. It was really fun. Uh, the best part about it, I think, was being able to tell that story without ever hurting anybody, without having anybody recognize what the case was or where it came from, being able to disguise it in such a way that the impact stayed there, but nobody's privacy was breached. And Chris was really, really good at that and mm -hmm. really devoted to that. Mm -hmm. But it was, uh, the best part was that is the government, I'd gone to the government and said, you know, they're gonna shoot this and if we aren't in it, God knows what this is gonna look like. And so they gave me, as long as I wasn't working, um, they gave me carte blanche and they were great. I mean, it was, and mm -hmm. it was a great show. It was, it was like, yeah. And know, that first season is pretty intense and it deals with yeah, a lot of, yeah. you know, things that, that are still really relevant today. Yeah. So what we'd do at the start of the season and we'd say, where's it going now? And I remember one year saying that I thought that we were, we were going into a real overdose. And uh, I remember him calling me one day and they were shooting downtown. And he said, it's starting, Larry. And it was, it was like, while we were shooting it, it was starting. It was just eerie. And, uh, but it was great people, so much fun. Honest to God, it was just so much fun. You know, and, and watching, you know, I always remind people that, you know, I, I never did get drunk and, and lose my car, you know. And, you know, like some of the stuff was just off the wall. Right. It was just off the wall. So Larry worked as a coroner from 1981 to 2001 when he retired as chief coroner for BC. And he saw a lot during those years. He dealt with countless families who were experiencing some of the worst things in their lives. The reality of people having to struggle with sadness and loss hasn't changed, but so many things have changed dramatically since then. Here's Larry. Everybody wants this perfect family and there is no such thing as a perfect family. And you know, we see more and more people want to go back to the white picket fence. And I'd like to go back to, I'd like to go back to 1955, but you can't. Yeah. And there's no way you can, mm -hmm. and there's no way of wishing it, and there's no way of trying to reverse it. And I think that's, 
some of the problems that we have right now is that we haven't been able to accept um, this evolution. I mean, you know, there are people who don't know what a typewriter is. You know, I mean, I mean, I, every time I hit the button and that printer prints, I'm like, how does it do that? And I'm like, I'm like, this is amazing, know. you know. And so I, you know, I really think personally, like I've had, like I hit the seam. Born in 1948, I hit the seam. I rode that seam. I never had to worry about a job. I went into the Mount Police. I went from there to the coroner service. Um, I've, you know, I've seen technology. You know, we used to have like uh, ticker tape in the detachment. So if somebody robbed a bank in Burnaby, they'd send you a message by this thing and go beep 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 beep, and everybody gather around like, okay, we got to shut down the second narrows bridge. There's, you know, I mean now. It's so instantaneous. I mean, in the car, you know, and I just think back on all of this and it's just, it just amazes me. But I, I accept it. I don't think it's all good, but then not, nothing is ever perfect. And I think it's yeah. one of the things that, you know, the challenges that are ongoing of maintaining your sanity and enjoying it and just enjoying life. One thing that hasn't changed is people's desire to cook over fire. Let's go over to Larry's barbecue. So here's the barbecue. Whoa. I like to get it off of the, you know, like, so I put all these metal things. They're all different trays that were out here. So I sort of try to get them up high. Uh-huh. So you're not cooking right on, on the grill. Right on, yeah. Okay. And the chicken goes on the grill. So it's always too hot because I turn it up to the highest. So it hits 600 and then I open the grill and let the, the heat come out of it, turn everything down and it'll settle down somewhere between eh, 350 or 4 and then you just leave it for an hour. While the chicken cooked, Larry put the vegetables in the oven and he soaked the corn on the cob with their husks still on for about half an hour before putting those on the barbecue with the chicken. I just soak the corn in water and uh, throw it on the barbecue and it never gets dried out. You just gotta make sure the husks don't start burning. It's, it's easy, schmeasy. And... Cool. What would you say is your kind of favorite comfort food? Homemade mac and cheese with a little bit of mustard in it, like dry mustard. Ooh, yeah. Nice. That's and maybe comfort. two or three different cheeses. You know, just gooey, gummy. And then Netflix. You know, <laughs> sitting in, in the dead of winter when it's howling outside there and the drapes are all closed and you're like, oh, this is so good. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> what, about, what about a, um, can you think of one of your favorite sort of eating experiences? Well, on the island, it would be Pilgrim. Pilgrim is one of the most talked about new restaurants in Canada. And next time I'm on Galliano, I can't wait to try it. It's not too far from where Larry and Kate live. And when they have them, they supply the restaurant with duck eggs. It's the most interesting meals that I've ever had there because the menu is always changing depending on what's going on. And he does such incredible stuff with food. Um, I think, you know... I know this really dates me, but I think the best meals I used to have was at High's Steakhouse. That's the meat and potatoes kind of thing. But I, yeah. I, I like Thai food. I like spicy. I like hot. I like Greek food. I mean, I, I'm not much on like 
roast beef and mashed potatoes. I mean, yeah. it's really good and I understand it, but I mean, give me like a really good Thai meal. I mean, I, you know, I don't eat out that much. Yeah. I mean, when I'm in Ottawa, Senate finishes, I go home and I cook supper. Yeah. Well, you like and cooking, so, right? Yeah. And when he's home on Galliano, he and Kate cook with a whole range of local ingredients. There's a trading system on the island where people trade cuts of meat or homegrown vegetables or homemade products. And depending on the season, there's also the freshest fish imaginable. Day before yesterday, so I was down the island and I had to go get something and I pulled into the parking lot at the corner store and uh, the guys from the Penelicate First Nation were there selling cod. So I got like 40 pounds of cod for four bucks a pound. So we had cod and potatoes and uh, fresh vegetables and there was a lot of it. And so just before you got here, I made cod cakes. So I've got cod cakes sitting in there. We'll eat what we can tomorrow morning and then we'll freeze the rest. Back to our Sunday night dinner. When the vegetables in the oven had roasted for about half an hour, Larry uncovered them and grated Parmesan cheese on top. The corn had cooked on the barbecue for about half an hour too, and the chicken was ready after just over an hour. So you've got parm there, yep. and you're grating the parm. And I'm just going to spread it over the top, and I'm going to put the tin foil back on. I've turned the oven off now, and it'll just sit in the warm oven. amazing. There we go. Okay, what I'm doing is we've left the chicken in. It's sitting at about 160 and I'm going to take it off and I'm going to just let it rest. I'm going to put a tin foil tent over it and let it rest for, I don't know, everybody says 10 I think. If you give them five that's good and then I'm going to carve it because it's still cooking and you've got to let it rest for that period of time, let all the juices settle in. We waited a few minutes, then Larry carved the chicken and we sat out on the deck enjoying the stunning view and Larry's delicious dinner. They found indications of settlement on Galliano going back 5,000 years. This place isn't new, but it keeps changing. Some would say for the better, some would want to put a stop to that change. Larry used the term evolution a number of times while we talked. His evolution from a meat and potatoes man to a more adventurous meat and potatoes man, the evolution of drug policy when it comes to marijuana. Larry's been fighting for legalization since his time on the Vancouver Drug Squad and technological evolution from typewriters to printers. And Larry seems okay with it all. He embraces change, and I would imagine he's okay with surprises. I'm sure there's a part of him that could go for a high stake right about now, and might be nostalgic for his life as a central cog in the machine that is the city of Vancouver. But for him, now... Life just slows down. You know, life just sort of... You get up in the morning, you go let the chicken and the ducks out, you collect the eggs, make sure everybody's got water, and. And then you think, well, what am I going to do today? And 
I never know what I'm going to do. I mean, some days I might do some woodworking. Uh, some days I might read. Some days we'll go on the boat. I mean, there's no plan. A huge thank you to Larry Campbell and Kate Patterson for inviting us to their island paradise. It was the perfect way to start season two. Sunday Night Dinner is produced by Suzanne Hancock, music by JJ Ibsen. If you're enjoying the show and you haven't yet subscribed on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, please do. And if you're in the mood, we'd love it if you'd leave a review. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. The next show will feature the awesome Barbara Jo McIntosh, the owner of the iconic Vancouver bookstore Books to Cooks, which unfortunately recently closed, but Barbara Jo is starting another adventure in France. You can cook along with her as she makes braised pork with cardamom and apricots. See you soon.